the flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, Federal Ammunition, North Dakota Tourism, and Nutrisource Pet Foods. We're road tripping through Ontario, Canada. I have no idea what kind of trouble we're about to get into, but we are literally cruising, looking for moose, bear, grouse, ptarmigan? Maybe. We'll see. It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year, the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I am your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. But Brandon is not producing today. My sidekick, my, what did you say before, Mark? What, what would be your title here? I'm the Ed McMahon. Okay. To you, Johnny Carson. Okay, I'm Johnny I'll, Carson. I'll just chirp in with some quips and some laughs, and all right, all right. Uh, I'm here for the ride. I've you the a lot entertainment. Of, I've done a lot of shows, never from the Canadian wilderness on a highway in Ontario. We are cruising at, um, I'm going to try to figure out what the kilometers are here, 80, we're doing 90 kilometers right now uh, down a freeway. We have been on the hunt for moose. We have been looking for bear, grouse. We've seen none of them, but we have seen walleye. Boy, have we seen a lot of walleye. You know what else we haven't seen? John Tremblay, what have we not seen in your hands? There has been no muskies, or at least a severe lack of muskies. I'm s I've never been more disappointed in my fishing skills in my entire life. I have never come to Lake of the Woods before and not. You asked me this when you're fishing. Oh, do, you, do you ever not catch them? No. It's like the best muskie fishery in the world. Not, not like, you know in this area, in the world. <laughs> it's for sure top five. At least you can take solace and it wasn't just our boat. I know. Nobody was bringing them in. Uh, there must have been 30 hours spent total. No. Probably more. No, less than that. 
Because if you think about it, when we musky fished, it was an hour each night. About roughly But then an hour each morning. Mm-hmm. And we had at least two boats doing that most of the so time. We well, no, six. morning was just you and I. Yep. I wasn't, didn't understand. Wasn't that, wasn't that sweet, though? Just the two amazing. of us watching that sunrise. Just the two of I us. I felt like it was yeah. a special connection. I couldn't agree more. Uh, we are coming back from Lake of the Woods. We'll fill you in on what we're doing, why we're driving. But we are cruising through the wilderness right now. If we see a moose, if we see a bear, things are going to get wild on this show. <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, we are roughly an hour north of the United States border, so we will hang this up when we get there, most likely. We are on a yearly trip that we have been doing now at Ron Chair Productions since I have been a part of our productions. And it's one of the most special weeks of the year because a lot of our partners in this world um, have become really good friends. And we spend a few days on an island together at a lodge called Wiley Point Lodge. And it is, without a doubt, one of the finest fishing lodges in Canada. And we gather here from all over the country. I think, you know, John, you came from Wichita, but you were not the furthest away. Um, We had uh, friends from... Benelli, shotguns. They came from Maryland. Yep. And we had people from, uh, most of us, the rest of us were from Minnesota. We had Iowa attending as well. There were 27 of us in camp this year. And I, I, for me, this trip is kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm so heavy into the production side of the Flush television show internally from the end of season till the shows hit the air. So then I take this big breath and come up here. We unwind for a few days, catch um, several hundred walleye, eat like kings. Um, But this is kind of like the start of the hunting season. You know, like we're road tripping right now. This is, to me, it feels like the start of hunting season because we're only less than a month away at this point We're from close yep it is august 3rd right now as we record this and september 1 i anticipate potentially being somewhere with a camera following filming another season of the flush which is very exciting um but john you are riding you rode shotgun here but you're going to ride the back seat because you've got a 15 hour drive <laughs> Uh, you know, so I think you're going to maybe nap. You gave her pretty hard. Any highlights from Wiley Point? This is your first experience with us. Um, first time in Canada fishing, right? I first think. time fishing in Canada. Yep. Uh, grew up in upstate New York, but never went across the border to do any fishing. I had no idea what to expect. I mean, you guys have talked about this, said it's a good time. Pull up. I was expecting something a little bit less or more rustic, I guess. So all the amenities they had, I was unbelievably pleased with. I mean, you get on a boat and then it's a 45 minute boat ride to this lodge. Mm -hmm. So it's way out there in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that made me laugh was, uh, Bill said a few times, I've never seen so many other people on this boat. We saw maybe like total of 10 other boats that weren't associated with us fishing. It is incredibly remote. I mean, if this lake was anywhere in the States, 
there'd be cabins every hundred feet. Instead, there are miles and miles and miles and miles of just completely untouched wilderness. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievably gorgeous. Um, but I set two personal bests yesterday, the biggest walleye I've ever caught, uh, the biggest Northern I've ever caught. Now, granted, I live in Kansas. <laughs> I don't get to go for those very often, but, and then the day before, uh, we went to a, a different area of the lake. I think I threw five casts, caught three small eye, and then small this small, eye? small, small sorry, eye. it's a small cross. What strange Canadian cross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we see this front moving in. I'm like, we rode it out on shore, and I love miserable things. So as we're sitting there and getting rained on, I was just laughing, having a great time. <laughs> Spend the rest of the day, uh, we go back to the main lake, spend the rest of the day going after, I want to not mess this one up, muskies this time. Mm -hmm. Absolute blast. We never catch one, but I've laughed so hard. My voice is going and just had a great time looking at beautiful landscape, getting some good chases. And they're just so exciting to watch. Just to see them come up is an adrenaline spike. Yeah, you're on a hunt. I think that's what I really enjoy about musky fishing. Uh, prior to doing television, I was a full-time musky guide in high school and college. I've talked about it a little bit on this show in the past. And uh, there's just something about that fish that you don't even have to catch it for it to leave an impression, a memory that you can't really forget very easily. Most people will be able to tell you every musky encounter they've ever had. Um, you come to a place like this and you can get a lot of them, um, you know, and you fished with Bill Shirk that day. We, we rotate, so it's Scott Franz and Bill Shirk, Ron Shera, myself, um, and then a handful of other boats, too, that come up. And we rotate who we fish with every day and we kind of say, what do you guys want to fish for? But one thing we do is we have a shore lunch. And that's one of those things where um, you come up to Canada you have to have a fresh shore, fresh walleye shore lunch. And the staff up here meet us out there and they set up chairs and tables and they come around with platters. Like it is <laughs> shrimp cocktail, champagne, shrimp cocktail, champagne. They pour shots for anybody that wants it. Like it is not, <laughs> I, I don't even like, sometimes I'm like, I got to pinch myself. What am I? How I've been, did I I've get been to Canada a few times, had some great shore lunches, but that includes me cleaning a fish on a paddle and cooking over an open fire and uh, swatting mosquitoes and just trying to eat as fast as possible. This, this I just wanted to sit on the island and eat shrimp cocktail all day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our quote-unquote shore lunch also had prosciutto, salami, <laughs> everything. Come on. We, I know. I, oh, pin, don't pinch me. I yeah. didn't want to wake yeah. up from that one. The only thing that was missing was a hammock oh, because yeah. we ate so well. They treat us like kings up there. It's a special place. Uh, really been fortunate to be able to experience it and to uh, have friends like you guys up there too and it makes it just memorable and we we laugh and we laugh and that's part of any good hunting trip any good fishing trip um, you laugh a lot and we did that we stayed up too late we woke up too early some some people not going to name names maybe had one too many beverages adult beverages and were slow to get up not me I was perfectly fine i think it did get a, a little touch of the flu one morning though oh, but that was the morning i was supposed to fish with ron shara and i was not gonna miss that what was it like fishing with ron shara because oh. i i never get to up oh. here because 
I'm always one of the, the captains. It was amazing. It, we knew we were in for a good story when he'd shut down the boat and do a <laughs> turn around turn towards us. So he could look at us while oh. we tell the story. Oh, <laughs> they were great amazing. Stories. What was your favorite Ron story that he shared? Can you share it here or is it not? Not. Definitely not something we want to share. <laughs> we'll just say some of the, well, I don't even want to say that. The, how he got a quote for the book, for one of his books, was my favorite story. Yeah. It was just absolutely great. What an what a interesting guy who's lived an amazing life. Ron? Yep. Yeah. Yep. The, the places he's been, the people he's met. Yep. And he's the written impact a couple he's of had. Books. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we, we have talked about since, well, we were talking last night, uh, Whitey and, and John, you and I were all fishing as the sun was setting, another just magical golden sunset. The, the mosquitoes were about to carry us away, and you launched that <laughs> musky bucktail gonna... up into the woods on shore, <laughs> and I had to try to navigate through. But prior to this, and, and then, you know, you wonder why we didn't catch a muskie, John, but... <laughs> Too much laughing. <laughs> right, right. Not, there were quite a few chances, I will say. Uh, there were a couple muskies in camp, just not in our boat. This is the first time it's ever happened, and I'm never going to forget that. Still mad at them fish. Um, but what we were talking about before John casted his lure into shore for the 16th time was um, <laughs> the impact that Ron has had and just the voice in the outdoor world. And in our area, you know, it's, I grew up listening to Ron, and he, you hear him, a voice speak and you're like oh that's Ron Chera you know right away it's such a recognizable voice but he is he's so much fun to fish with we have an award every night and we have 25 of us in camp there's a trophy there's a big fish pot stories are told but Ron leads every single one he dings the glass and stands up <laughs> and everybody stops just and holds court he holds court yeah yeah he's great at it and that's just what he's done in the outdoor world for so long, too. Telling stories. He loves it. He's gifted at it. Uh, I admire him for it. I love when he stands up because you never know what's coming out of his mouth. And you laugh. And we laughed all week. And it's hard to sit here and talk right now because everyone's like, oh, get, get on with it. Get on with it. But it's just a special thing. It's so special. And we're cruising back towards the United States. But I think we're, we're full of just uh we're tired in a good way mm -hmm. i think that's a good way to put it uh we're ready to get this hunting season started john i've had you on the show quite a few times and i love talking with you because you're a wealth of knowledge in the meat processing world the world that hunters live in what do you do with that food after you harvest it well that's something you have to do every single day or should i say get to do you know, we talked about this on the ride up, and <clears throat> you just love your job for so many reasons, but, but maybe you can explain why you love your job so much, John. Sure. Uh, I get to play with different ways of creating different flavors, different experiences with meat. I mean, there's not much more that I could really ask for in a job. I mean, I get more. Because in my opinion, I work at an incredible company, uh, great families owned, great people there, all the employees, every, uh, almost everybody loves each other, gets along. You know, you're never going to have 100%, but really special group. Uh, but the thing I really get a charge from is every once in a while, I'll walk out into our showroom 
and just see somebody walking around and ask them, what are you doing? What are you looking for? The ability to pass on some of that knowledge that I've gained over the last 10 years is just gives me a, a goosebumps. Like I get really happy with it. I said the other morning, I ate an incredible bagel here and I got like a dopamine hit. It's the same thing I get when I get to teach somebody how to do something. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, well, mm -hmm. yeah, you're providing you a lot of information out there. You're, you work at Walton's. Um, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you know a bit of, about Walton's. They sell everything but the meat. But John, you do everything with the meat, with all of your products. You test everything out. You put it through the grinder. Yep. Wow, Mark. Good wow, job. That was Thank good. You. That was well, well done. done. Thank you. And you make sure that everything works, but you also are managing Meatgistics, the community that really helps people learn. Yep. And I think there's so many of us that, you know, if you just get into the hunting world, you have a lot to learn. And that's one thing that as I've taken people out, I'm always, as a hunter, curious what other people are doing with their food. And then when I'm bringing others out, I'm always trying to help them and show them how to prepare it from the moment you pull the trigger to the moment you're eating it so that it's an enjoyable experience. Because there's so much, um, I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, wild game. You know, when you say that to the Edina housewife, that's what we always say at Rod Sherbrooke. How do you get the Edina housewife to care? But also when it comes to, we always say that, uh, how do you get the Edina housewife to care about the, um, the landscape, our okay. water, our, you know, land and the environment? Because if you reach her, then you know you've reached um, everybody that you can anyway because it's like an upscale yeah, sure yeah. i get it okay so but i also want that edina housewife if they have the opportunity to eat the game to really enjoy it because then you've created something that will last in my opinion it's important all the steps of the process um and so i don't even know where i'm going with this conversation guys where oh you get to do this every day john i mean that's that's really what you're managing there is trying to help people. Um, what's, your, what's your official title? Uh, I'm our media manager. Okay. So that began as just making YouTube videos, like how to make XYZ, so snack sticks, all that. And we just kept doing it, kept doing it. Uh, eventually we had to bring in a video editor because I used to edit my own videos, but I hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> I actually can't listen to it. It like shuts off my brain. So we had to bring somebody in who would, be able to listen to all my takes and eventually, you know, put them all together. Um, and then it grew from there. We brought in some more people and eventually Austin, my boss was just like, all right, they report to you. now. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So I went from <laughs> yeah. making YouTube videos to doing that. And now all of the Walton's website somehow is underneath me as well, but it's great. So many days are just different. We have different challenges, different opportunities all the time. And yeah, I just absolutely love my job. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. 
Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full-circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. What have you learned since you started recording the podcast? Is it, I mean, you're, you're just like a wealth of studying the news that you take in, but the information that you try to deliver to people. It's entertaining. Uh, Meet Gistics is the name of the podcast. Yep. If somebody has not listened to it, it's very entertaining. You and Austin, um, you go on and on about everything, anything and everything in the meat world, which I find really fascinating because you dig into a lot of news topics. You also get really controversial. <laughs> <laughs> not as bad anymore. We're better now. Why not? What, what happened? Um, Did you get scolded? We quit drinking on the podcast, <laughs> to be honest. That's, we're like, uh, this isn't working anymore. We need to keep this more focused. Okay. So we kind of uh, try to do a good job of finding stories that are could be entertaining, could be helpful for some people to know what's coming in the meat industry, uh, and just for us to be interested in because if you're talking about something that you don't care about it's not gonna matter it's not gonna resonate mm -hmm. with anybody give the an example of some of the news that you dig into sure uh there's one recently and it, it's kind of funny how it happens one week we're talking about a article that comes out that says the fda is actually now going to verify certain types of labels that are put on meat and one of them was no antibiotics used in chicken, right? So in the past, a company could just say, yep, we don't add any antibiotics with our chicken. And the FDA is like, okay, sure, put that label on, we don't care. So they started saying, no, we're gonna check that now. The very next week, Tyson comes out and says, hey, we're gonna start using antibiotics again in our chicken. <laughs> oh. Like, oh, I wonder if those two things have anything to do with each other. Could it be that you're using antibiotics the entire time? So it's little things like that. Uh, so just, up until now, the FDA just trusted everyone's word. Like, <laughs> so hey, it's so much worse than just antibiotics. Um, free range. They didn't check it all. It was all sorts of things. They're just like, no, the company says they're doing it. I'm sure. Oh, they yeah. Are. That's the way it goes. Um, but uh, just to make sure there's four companies in the U.S. that control 85 percent of the beef industry. Right. And we call them the big four and we give Tyson a lot of, you know, a lot of crap, but I want to point out, they also do a lot of good stuff. There was 
historic flooding in Vermont a month ago, I think. And Tyson donated something like 140,000 meals to people wow. out there. So as, as much as, you know, we can see some of the bad things they do in the industry, they're also a force for good. So. Gotcha. Um, do, you, do you work with them pretty closely, a lot of those big four? I Not mean, at all. You don't? Nope. Who is, uh, who is your main market? Is, I mean, I know the, the hunting community, but also the processing community. Who do you really service? So uh, our business is, uh, I think, a little bit unique. We sell both directly to the public, but also to commercial meat processors. And what we aim after is the small to medium-sized company. Um, our general customer is going to be operator owner uh, somebody who owns the plant is in the plant every day and that kind of comes for a, a, a couple of reasons one with these big companies if you start selling them something they if they change on a dime and you can't change with them they're just going to leave you behind like there will be no grace period there'll be no nothing uh, the small the medium-sized processor we can actually build relationships with them they can call our commercial salesman and say, hey, I'm seeing this in my product. What is going on? Well, one of Brett's sons is, has his degree in meat science, has grown up in the industry, and knows everything about meat. It, it, it's uncanny. Um, so we can get them answers. We can get them help right away on the fly. And that just strengthens that relationship. And it also is, you know, we're a family-owned company. We want to work with family-owned companies. So that's our... our uh, main customer and for people who deer hunt elk hunt whatever we get your kind of your business either way whether you do it yourself hopefully you buy from us and we're getting your business or you're bringing it to a processor and hopefully we're selling things to them all right mark you're also our navigator hang a left good buddy hang a left all yep right. <clears throat> mark lukey is a co-worker of mine who, is this your first time on the show, Mark? Uh, I, this is my first time on the Flush Podcast. All right. I've done one or two before. Um, you are also a regular voice on the Four Horsemen. <laughs> the Four Outdoorsmen <laughs> radio show is a uh, local hunting and fishing kind of radio show on Sunday nights on Bob FM. Thanks for giving me a plug. In Minnesota? In Minnesota, mostly, yeah. There's uh, three different markets, uh, Mankato, St. Cloud, and the Twin Cities area. So tune in or... You can listen anytime at thefouroutdoorsman.com. Wow. That was wow. Wild. That's why we call him Ed McMahon. Wow. Well done. Way to sneak that in. I'll just Scott's going to send you a bill for yeah. that. I'll just chime in when I want to promote my own stuff. Wow. But no, it's uh, it, it's wonderful working at Ron Chair. And, and I love this, this time of year because I hear you coming in the front talking about where you're going to be hunting this fall. Mm -hmm. And I can hear those discussions uh, over here. And, and it sounds like some exciting setting time so yeah it's uh i'm i'm happy to be on the flush podcast and thank you i thought Absolutely. you made him work in the basement what's that i thought you made him work in the basement yeah we told him stop listening right yeah. weird. i like, listen Mark, to everything you, you talk about <laughs> <laughs> we yeah we are in the planning process which i should um remind people i've gotten a lot of submissions in the last few weeks if you have an idea for us on a hunt that you think we need to come and film this year with you, with a certain hunter or family or friends of yours. 
now is a great opportunity or a great time to send those to us because we are really going to finalize our fall hunt schedule here in the next couple weeks. We're also going to be getting a lot of um, numbers coming in. And I know last week or uh, the last show I talked with Bob St. Pierre and Aaron Sanquist about this, about, you know, the numbers that are going to be coming in for the birds. And it's just, it's trending up in a lot of places. John, you're down in Kansas. What, what have you guys seen on the landscape? Are you out of the drought yet in Wichita and in your part of the state? Is it So in our part of the state, we've gotten a lot of rain in the last three months, three and a half months. I honestly don't know if that gets us out of drought because it's been so dry there for so long. We went out to western Kansas last year, and it was bone dry. The dogs were having a heck of a time picking up any scents. Uh, We are lucky enough when we go out there, we go with a specific family, um, and they're they know their land backwards, forwards. They're going to scare up birds no matter what. But, man, these dogs were working to smell anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, my late season hunt in Kansas, I was down there in January this past, uh, the end of this past season. And I was amazed at just, I mean, we talked about it on the show and we recorded a podcast down there, just how easy it was for the dogs to miss the birds. I mean, they just, when you don't have any scent. But you're saying you've gotten a lot of rain. Things are green down there, I heard? Ish. Ish. I mean, they're Kansas green. Kansas <laughs> so green. it's a vague All green. Right. All right. Uh, what are the reports as far as, what's Brett? Is he excited? Is he telling you, hey, I'm going to be gone a lot more than just Thursdays? He hasn't said that. So I assume he'll still be gone every Thursday. I'm still trying to get an invite on those, but it hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. What could we do right now on this show to get you in to a Thursday invite? Because he listens to this from time to time. Oh, no, no, no. Not from time to time. He <laughs> listens to every one of these. Well, uh, Brett, John wants to go hunting with you. <laughs> I don't know how to say this any other way. Um, and also, this is your, I think I can make an official plea for Brett to come up fishing with us next year. Oh, yeah. yeah he, he's been up here uh, Took his kids up here a, a bunch of years ago. I think it has to be close to 15 at this point. Uh, but they were kind of filling me in on what we could expect from the fishing here. Mm-hmm. And they were correct. I mean, it is, on some days, it's just, or some periods, it's just constant fish. Fish, 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 fish. Yeah, sometimes, depending on who, I'm, who I have in the boat, they'll run. I've got a fish clicker. You know, they'll run that. I didn't run it the first day, but I would estimate that we caught... 175 walleye and the jumbo perch fishing on Lake of the Woods right now. I've never seen it like this before. A lot of years we'll catch, you know, two, three, four nice big jumbos. And I'm talking like 13, 14 inchers. Um, this year, that first day, I think we, we had probably 25 of those really big jumbo perch. And the boys from Maryland were ecstatic mm-hmm. about that uh that adds you know to your limit as far as what you can bring home they were excited because they just don't have that kind of fish back home uh this you know over the four days depending on what we were fishing for i would i would guess we probably caught and just in my boat 400 walleye in those three days and then you know you had northern you had perch and you don't add muskies <laughs> there John. Were no muskies. <laughs> no you don't 
Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> but I equate it like going after walleye, going, well, we, no one went after perch, but like going after walleye, going after bass, that's more like going after pheasant, going after quail, going after muskie. That's backcountry elk hunting. Like you are targeting a specific fish and you are focused on that. So you're just trying to get that one thing. It's just a different experience. Mm -hmm. I very, take it. I take it very personally. Yeah, you were. Well, yeah, you do. You were getting. <laughs> well, so yeah. I mean, like, here's my here's my experience up there. My first trip up there, I, you know, it was two of us in the boat. We were fishing, and we had to catch walleyes for shore lunch. And we have a predetermined island that we're going to meet at at eleven thirty or whatever. So bring two walleyes a piece, unless you don't feel like you're hungry and you just want to eat one. And so we, we had our, our fish for the shore lunch. We're like, hey, you want to try to catch a muskie? And of course, like, that's, that's when they come up here. That's all I want to do. And so I was like, <laughs> yes. I made three casts, John, and caught a 47-inch muskie. We went to the next spot, another one on, went to the next spot, another one. Like, that's what I'm used to. And never fished a lake in my life up in that area you know i'm just looking at the structure reading it thinking there should be one here yes there they are and they come up and you know the next time out same deal last year i woke up early before everyone got up out of bed and i wanted to go watch the sunrise and i'm like well, i'll make a couple casts i went to the nearest island right out in front of the lodge pulled up on a on a point that looked good i made four casts caught a muskie came back in. So that's my musky fishing experience. That's why I got so pissed when we kept <laughs> going to all these spots and you guys weren't catching them. Like I'm trying to train you. I'm trying to teach you the maneuvers, the boat side, each lure, what you need to think about. And so I'm not, typically I'm not even casting. Cause it's like, I want you to catch it, John, you, this is all about you. And it was not happening. And so then I, I started to get mad and then I take it personal. And then I was like, if we catch one, I mean, last night, yep. we went, we ripped our sleeves off. <laughs> we had a rally caps on. We went sleeveless, cut off sleeves. You, you had a nice shirt on and you even ripped the you sleeves went for off. It. You went for it, buddy. Shirt. You sacrificed the shirt for the, the good of the team. And that didn't even, oh, I just can't even hardly believe it. And I don't ever get a chance to do this. So I want to be out in the water as much as possible. Even the morning, I wasn't feeling well. I still rolled you out of bed at 5.30. You did. I just want to get after it as much as possible for those because it's just not an opportunity, certainly that most people from Kansas get very often. So I was determined to maximize. Brett, if you're listening, I'm going to get you a muskie next year. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going to happen. He's going to go up and catch one right yeah, away. Second cast like it's supposed to be. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh, some... Upland bird hunting topics. Check. So I just made some jerky the other day, John, and you brought some jerky up too. And I, I wanted to compare. And the reason I wanted to compare is because I feel like, you know, I've been smoking jerky and there's one that you have a recipe posted on, the turkey jerky. It's excellent. Everybody in my family, like my kids want to make sure they come home with a bird because for them... The, the meat at the other end is something that they just absolutely love. And so, you know, when they've got their first bird, I, you know, clean it together, but I also give them the choice. What do you guys want to do with it? You know, it's their bird and inevitably they go jerky. So I've been making turkey jerky for a few years now. 
And one thing that I run into is the flavor's good, marinated, everything's good. It's reached the temperature that it needs to be at. But when I put it in a bag, there's this moisture in it. And I'm thinking, well, it's done. It's, it, it should be good. I know I'm safe to eat it. But why is there this moisture in it? So with turkey pol- or any type of poultry. Yeah, because right? it would, this applies to pheasants too. I've made Absolutely. it with yep. pheasants. Yep. You're always going to have more moisture in it because there's a higher water, or, excuse me, higher water content in the muscle. So you can do two things. One, you can do exactly what you do. Your meat's perfectly safe to eat. You're just going to have to keep it refrigerated or in the freezer. Because you don't want to leave that, like the jerky I brought, it's in vac bags and it's not been in a fridge since we got here. Because it's perfectly shelf stable. Nothing's ever going to grow on it. Uh, and did you follow the, the jerky, turkey jerky recipe I had? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So we add a little bit of extra water to that to keep it nice and tender. So it got some bend to it. So you're not just like ripping off pieces and cutting up your mouth. Um, we then cook out all of the water of that, except for what's already bound to the sugar that we add. So sugar binds with water and then makes that water unavailable for microbial growth, right? So you can have a nice tender piece that no mold's ever going to grow on, no bacteria is ever going to grow on. But when we're dealing with poultry, it's a different animal. We want to be super careful with that. Um, so if it does have that extra water content, on top of the muscle, we probably didn't cook out enough of the water, so we need to vacuum pack it and we need to get it in the fridge. How long would it then be safe? Uh, we've added cure, we've cooked out most of the water. In a fridge, you're good for at least a week. Okay. Um, anything past that, I would still freeze it. You want to treat it at that point almost like fresh meat. Not really, but almost like fresh meat, especially if you're giving it to your kids. What so, are the risks associated with that if if it's left out oh if we didn't get any or if we didn't get the water activity low enough yeah we could be growing all sorts of things in there that are going to give somebody uh at best an upset stomach so we want to at worst uh at worst a trip to the hospital with dehydration because it can't keep anything down so interesting how often does that happen when people are processing their own meat not very often uh Usually what you'll find if somebody's getting them sick from their own processed meat, it's because it wasn't handled correctly in the field. Uh, you know, they threw it in the back of the truck and drove it around for four hours, showing their big buck to everybody. Uh, we've got something. I do that with my pheasants. I put them on the top of the car. I'm sure, Mark, you do the <laughs> yeah. same thing. Just drive them to the I hood. I just drive them around, yeah. <laughs> that is one thing that I love about the hunting world. <laughs> Throw the deer on the top of your vehicle and drive around. So you, you, know, you can, I, I've seen people do that where they didn't gut it. Oh, yeah. That, that uh, you can't do. I know, but they've, I've seen it, and I'm like, what are you doing? Have you been following the leave in the field thing that's going on recently? What is that? There's a lot of people who, instead of gutting it in the field and taking the carcass, mm-hmm. they're basically quartering it right there. Even a, a small oh, deer yeah. quartering it and leaving it in the field. Well... With the thought People process. need to be careful about that because there are certain laws in certain states oh. that prohibit that. Okay. Yeah. And I've looked into it in Minnesota. I hunt some very remote land and I, I hunt a lot of public lands and there's a north, northern Minnesota where I hunt. I like to get as far away from another human as possible 
And there are times where I'm, you know, multiple miles from the vehicle. And I think to myself, if I just corded this thing up out here, it's way easier than dragging a 200-pound animal out of the woods. Yep. But calling the DNR, they say that is not allowed. Okay. So people that are into what you're talking about, John, need to check the regs That's before they do that. A very good reminder. Mm -hmm. Always check your local regulations yeah if you're out west and you're hunting in the mountains i mean that's that's common yep. i mean that's what you do it, you shoot an elk or a moose you're quartering it up but yeah i found that to be kind of strange that they said and you know worth checking again what i'm saying because i've been wrong before i, I a couple of weeks ago said that you couldn't um let your dogs off leash on wmas in minnesota till august 1st and then i was corrected by a listener it's it was July fifteenth, so I was like, ah. Oh. And I think it's always been popular in the moose yeah. and elk because what else are you going to yeah, do? You have yeah. to, but it's making its way into the deer, mm -hmm. uh, deer hunters at least in Kansas. I've heard yeah. of multiple people doing it, and they have valid reasons for it. Uh, they don't want to bring the guts back if it's infected. Might as well just leave them there, where the coyotes that live there are already going to be eating it no matter what. Well, that's calm. I mean, that's what you need to do right away. Gut it as soon as you can. Um, that's been going on anywhere, everywhere for as long as we've been hunting, but I am amazed at how people, how poorly people take care of their yeah. wild game. And we were talking about this a little bit ago to hang a pheasant or not hang a pheasant because some people will do it. Um, and John explain what they're doing when people will hang a pheasant and how long and, and what they're trying to achieve there. Yeah. It's the same thing we do when we try to hang beef or dry age beef. Uh, what we're doing is letting the enzymes that are already naturally present within the muscle or around the muscle start to work on that and start to break down and make things more tender. It's just the same thing that happens when you let something marinate. You're letting it just become more tender and it's a natural process. There's nothing wrong with it. I personally don't do it with pheasant. Um, I also don't do it with deer. I know a lot of people do, and I hear a lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, your deer meat's not going to be as good. The buck I took last year, I, I'd put its back straps up against anyone else's, and it didn't hang for a day. Well, it's it, probably because you shot the tiniest deer in <laughs> Kansas. That's, and not, you know, that's not true. Right. It was the How second was smallest. Oh, okay. The, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, those tender, those youngins are delicious. That is young. true. Yep. Now, uh, there is another thing. Uh, if you are going to hang, we have something called deer and wild game rinse or deer carcass wash. And it's a mix of uh, sodium erythorbate, potassium sorbate, and, and another thing. And sodium erythorbate's not right. So potassium sorbate. I got one of the three ingredients. But it's an antimicrobial and an anti-mold. It's specifically going to target things that we do not want in that deer, and it's going to kill them right then. You spray the entry, you spray the exit hole, and then once you got it, spray the entire inside. And that will keep your deer safer way longer. So, hmm. what, what is it, and I know you mentioned some names of things that I didn't understand there, but is that safe? I mean, I, oh, yeah, obviously yeah. it's safe, but how do you know and why? Like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to. I would spray water, wash this off if needed, if it's dirty, but getting everything out of it right away, 
and getting that meat cleaned is a, is a big priority for me. I mean, I want to cool the meat down as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. And given the weather, um, you know, that dictates how quickly I move on some of those things. Where I hunt, a lot of times November, it could be 10 below zero. Cool is not something that's hard to find, right. but there are, I've had 60, 70 degree days, and I know that's common in the, in the southern parts of uh, America where people are deer hunting. It can be really warm out there, so cooling everything down. But it's just as important for birds. You know, we're out there in the field, and if it's a hot day, I don't, I mean, would you take a, a burger or a steak and just walk around with it in your back all day <laughs> and then eat it eight hours later? I would not. That would exactly. not be a good idea. Mark might. <laughs> yeah. Now, it is different. I pocket right? hamburger right now. You have, <laughs> you have anything in your pockets? <laughs> it is obviously different because in the case of the carcass, that animal was alive eight hours ago. Mm-hmm. In the case of a burger or a steak, that's been dead months. So it is not the exact same thing. What's your time on how long it can be out and exposed before it starts to spoil? There's too many factors. Yeah. You, you, you can't say because obviously you already mentioned heat is a huge aspect of it. Moisture is going to be an aspect of it. But also what was already on the bird, right? Did it already have something that's going to be a problem? There's just too many things to be able to give a, you, know, you have this long to do it. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. So on a lot of hunts, you know, at the end of the day, people are tired. It's a great hunt. They've got these birds. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to hang them. Now, if it's cold, that's fine. Uh, If you can keep the birds cold and you can hang them, I get that. I've tried it. But my personal experience, I don't, I have not... And maybe this is just, these are my taste buds talking here, but I have not hung a pheasant for a long enough period of time 
or I've not hung a pheasant that is aged to the point where I'm like, oh, that meat was so much better. I have hung pheasants before that uh, a pellet, a BB or two has gone into the gut. Now you have meat that takes on that flavor. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that was the dumbest thing ever. I, I don't want to do that anymore. Like I, I don't hang birds. I clean them right away. I want to get all the, anything that could um, add any bad flavors to it. I just don't want it in the bird. So I'm not, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just haven't been doing it right. Well, it's also going to change the flavor profile of the meat. Uh, when we talk about a, a steak that's been wet aged or regular and a steak that's been dry aged, they are different flavors. A dry aged steak is going to have an almost slightly like nutty taste to it or aroma at least. It's clearly changing the flavor profile, and it's not for everybody. Some people don't like dry-aged steak because of that. So it could just be that you don't like dry-aged stuff. It's possible. Hmm. But I'm talking, I've had some birds that were clearly spoiled oh. because of it. There were, you know, some of the, the guts or whatever inside had gotten on that meat. Like, normally I'm, I wash them off right away when I clean them, cool them down, and I make sure that there's no... Yeah, if a pellet's going through the guts and pushing into the muscle, the reason that we can, uh, you know, cook a steak rare, but we have to cook a burger all the way through is because very little, if any, bacteria lives on the inside of the muscle. It all lives on the outside. So as soon as that BB's gone through and it's got bacteria from coming through the guts and then goes through the muscle, Mm -hmm. we've just introduced that bacteria all the way through. Well, I've had birds where I'm like, this is terrible. And I attribute it to waiting on cleaning it. And that's why, that's just my opinion on it. I know somebody listening right now is like, oh, you're an idiot. You're not doing it right. And that's fair. I probably am an idiot and I'm probably not doing it right. But I'd rather not risk the bird being unedible. And I care too much about it. I don't ever want to waste anything. So if I clean things right away, I prepare them right away. Or if I'm not going to prepare them right away, I want to store them so that they don't get freezer burnt, that they last until I'm ready to eat them. And vacuum sealing, you know, that's obviously become a big deal the last, I feel like the last 10 years, it's really kind of overtaken. Everything in my freezer right now is vacuum sealed, except for the breakfast sausage that I make. We have those little one pound bags, just like you would get beef, you know, and then we seal them up on the top. Yep. But vacuum sealing your wild game, John, how long can you keep it frozen then i've got wild game that was a good amount of it was given to me probably four years ago i eat it very sparingly because it's special um but i still eat it from four years ago it's in my bottom free or bottom of my freezer in my basement pull it out every once in a while defrost it and defrosting is important too you want to let it come back to room temperature naturally i see people defrosting cuts of meat in water and it's just not the right way to do it. I've done it before if I'm in an absolute pinch, mm-hmm. but you really want to just let it defrost in your refrigerator over the course of a few days. It's way better for the meat. As far as birds? I mean, birds, How it's not going to take a couple of days on a bird. Yep. Unless you've, for some reason, frozen your entire wild turkey. don't know why you would do that, but if someone did do that, that would take a while. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some upland recipes. Let's... 
we'll go pheasant here. Okay. Um, you've tried a lot of different recipes. Yep. Are there any non-jerky or pheasant stick recipes that you have really come to love? And yep. what, what I've are got uh, two of my favorites. Uh, well, one of them is the one that you gave me to do, the bacon wrapped. Oh, the George is, Lyle wrapped just pheasant absolutely wraps. phenomenal. It is, yeah. For people that haven't caught that one, essentially, it's you take a pheasant breast, and if you breast it out, you tap, you tenderize it, you tap it down, you're looking at about a quarter-inch thick piece of meat, put a dollop of cream cheese on the inside of that after seasoning it, uh, you can do any, I mean, what kind of seasoning have you gone with on that, John? Uh, with that one, I've used both the Walton's Ultimate Steak and Roast Rub, which is a little bit weird to really? use on pheasant. Yep, yep. I've not done that one. But it was good. And then we have a BHA Wild Game Seasoning that's yeah. also awesome on it. However, for what most people will like for that, it, butter garlic. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, yep. yep, that's great. And then I dice up jalapenos and onions and you wrap the breasts around all that. You just keep all those different flavors inside of it. You wrap bacon around the outside to hold the breasts together, and you got even more flavors. Um, it'd be like a jalapeno popper, yep. you know, yep. but you're just creating it all in one, uh, one packaged good. And I've used that for basically every kind of bird, and even geese, waterfowl. To, to take a goose breast, which is obviously way bigger than that, but you butterfly it, you know, so then you, um, each breast is going to be like several of those wraps. But, I mean, to slow cook that over a fire yep. on the grill or smoke it, either way, I've had the Adina housewife, John, say, wow, what is this? And you tell them like goose or pheasant or a wild creature, and they're like, oh, my Gosh, that's what I was honey. Gonna... You need to start hunting. <laughs> when you told me about that recipe, you said this is what I give to people who say they don't like wild game. Uh, remind me to come back to goose, but two other quick pheasant recipes. Okay. Uh, we made pheasant rangoon, and it's. I remember you saying that it's yeah. not that hard. Um, people can look for the recipe on Meatistics. It takes hour from start to finish, and you can get a whole tray full of these delicious little rangoons. And then we made popcorn pheasant. With our chicken on the run breading, absolutely incredible. Okay, so there's, an, there's a step in the process that I missed when you uh, sent me the chicken on the run. Yeah. You got to marinate it beforehand. They do. They sell a, a, a different marinade. It comes in a separate package. So you marinate the meat in that. Then you cover it in the chicken on the run seasoning. And I, I mean, every time I make something and bring it around, anytime we get a new seasoning in or a new something, I'll make some and then walk it all around the office. Brett will often say that he doesn't get any, but <laughs> I just, I guess I do them on Thursdays. Well, tell Maybe him, yeah, I shouldn't be go. in the tell office if you on want Thursday. Some, Brett, if you yeah. want some of John's fine cooking, <laughs> <laughs> take the man hunting. <laughs> so, uh, but there's always will be somebody who says that's too spicy. That's not spicy enough. It doesn't have enough flavor. The first thing I ever brought around that was universally loved was that chicken on the run, it was chicken thighs. We just did it in that, and everybody loved that. Is that easy enough to make at uh, hunting camp? Oh, yeah, for sure. That is the exact same process as what they're doing with the shore lunch. Oh, okay, exact so you're just pan-frying it it's, in Yeah, in they won't get to marinate it, but it'll still yep. be amazing. What is the marinade? What's the flavor there? Uh, pretty salty, to be really? honest, but it adds something to it. It's 
designed to work with the breading. Speaking of salt, we were just talking about that, not like, you know, salt of the earth, like you, John. Oh, there but you go. that there are different salts and what, what do you know about salts and how there's good salt, bad salt? Well, it's not necessarily bad salt. And how we came onto this is when most people get into cooking, the first thing that they kind of know are seasonings and flavors. And they're like, ooh, I like adding that seasoning. I don't like adding this. Then they cook for a little bit more, learn a little bit more. And they're like, okay, well, it's not even so much the seasonings. It's the initial ingredient that I'm using. And that all goes into wild game very much how the meat is handled, how it's stored. Um, But then eventually you kind of learn it. Most flavor really is about fat, heat, and salt. If you have those three things right on your meat, you're going to nail it. It's going to taste good. Um, Different types of salt are better for cooking and better for seasoning. The iodized table salt that most people get is not really what you want to use while you're cooking. It's fine for seasoning something after, uh, but you really want to get a a table or a, a sea salt um, they sell them in almost every grocery store now. You can get a sea salt with a built-in grinder at the top, and that is way better to use. What for, is different about it? I guess I... I it's a different... Particle size matters a huge amount in cooking, especially with salt, because if you've ever watched what happens with salt while it's cooking, it'll basically melt. So what salts do... Salt's what we call a functional ingredient. It is not just giving flavor. It is also changing structures in the meat. It'll get to, like when we were making sausage, we use a very specific amount of salt because it solubilizes the proteins in the center of the muscle. And that lets it change its form and become sticky and bind with other meats. So it's changing the structure of the meat as it's cooking. Can you ruin, and Mark, jump in. I know you've made some of your own homemade sausage and stuff too, but can you ruin meat by over-salting it when you're processing it like that? Of course. Absolutely. Uh, it happens to people with bacon all the time. People make bacon and just say it was so salty I can hardly eat it. Almost always what they've done there is after you dry, if you're using a dry rub, you've got to rinse that thing off. And they'll be like, oh, you know, I, I put it in a, a thing of water for 10 minutes and then smoked it. No, much, much more than that. It's better to keep fresh running water over it or 25 minutes, 30 minutes. If you like a really less salty bacon, go 40 minutes because you, there's really not much you can do to cook the salt out of anything, right? When something is really salty, if we've cooked something, it's really salty. There's a good chance that what we actually did is had the right salt content, but cooked too much of the moisture out. So what's left? The salt. Hmm. Um, seasonings. What's new in the seasoning world? What would you recommend people think about, you know, hunting season coming up, you're on the road, you want to make sure, I mean, people have their favorite recipes, but there's a new stuff that's out there. If they want to have anything in their packs before they leave town, what, what would you recommend as far as different seasonings for birds specifically? So we've got uh, a new seasoning called Moho seasoning. I wanted to call it Mojo seasoning and I still, <laughs> but I lost a bet to Austin. So it is now officially Moho seasoning. Um, it is a uh, South African, or uh, sorry, South American. Uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, hold on a second. Mark, producer Mark. Am we're I going making the a wrong turn. No. Uh, no idea. We're going the wrong way. Okay, we are going to 
maybe potentially go through customs in <laughs> <laughs> a minute here. Um, hit, shoot. Hit pause, I think. I don't think we're pausing. That's not how we do the show. It's always real. It's always Find a parking uncut. lncut. <laughs> there uh, you go. Where am I going, Mark? Find a parking lot. Okay. I don't, we got to keep this, we got to keep this ship going. Bridge to USA. <laughs> yeah, I can see way. America, guys. I can see it. Um, <laughs> I wonder what the the customs border patrol agent is going to think of us. I don't know. I, I wouldn't chance that. On. I wouldn't chance that. I, I don't can want feel to. the red, white, and blue surging in They're going to be vein. like, welcome home. And <laughs> what are you doing? You know, they've seen a lot weirder than us. I'll just give them an eagle call. Um, we okay. We're going to hang this up. We're going to end it short because we are entering America. Um, is there anything else that we want to hit? Oh, you guys have Broadfest coming up? Yep. When is that? Uh, Broadfest is August 19th. That is in uh, Wichita, Kansas. All funds from it go to the Wichita Air Capital Flyers Special Olympics team. Uh, great time. Come. We have all sorts of samples. We have vendors, so you can actually buy some sausages here. Okay. Um, you guys are always doing giveaways. What's your current summer giveaway summer sales yep uh, we've got our big summer sale going right now that is at waltons.com uh we've got 15 to 30 percent off a lot of waltons branded equipment uh we're also running some different specials this year we have a giveaway this month that is a processor's package so we're giving away a vacuum sealer a sausage stuffer and a bunch of other little things that'll help out your average hunter i'm so lost right yeah, now yeah i don't hey, know am i supposed to go here yeah if you want to go to the border right I now. I do want to go to America. So is, am I going the right way? I feel yes. like I'm going the wrong way. Nope, in you're a going the right way. Site. Are you sure, Mark? Yep. He says okay. No, I'm not sure. He's the producer. Keep going if you don't. Okay, uh, John, anything else? Any last thoughts? I know there was more I wanted to talk about, so I apologize if I missed anything, but... Nope, real, just real quick, I wanted to touch on goose again. Oh, yeah. Every time I've made a goose sausage, it's been one of my favorite sausages of all time. So if you have goose breast... I would not use that on your awesome, very delicious wraps. Make sausage out of it. It is so good. Just yeah. get some pork fat. Goose and sticks. Goose, they are amazing. Yeah. We always call them goose sticks, they're but awesome. yeah, they're, they're the snack sticks, basically. Um, you can make snack sticks out of pretty much anything. I like doing that kind of stuff. Two reasons. One, I get to include my kids in making it. And two, it's, it goes with. Um, this year, instead of letting my kids hammer all the jerky from the birds that they shot, I packaged it up, vacuum sealed it in little, you know, like if we were picking it up on the store shelf in the gas station, the jerky bags. So that way we take it with when we go fishing, we take it with when we go on, on a trip and it just kind of goes with us and lasts a little bit longer. But I've got a, uh, another uh, meat day coming up with the kids and we're going to make a bunch of other stuff where we do sausage and, and snack sticks and things like that too. And now you'll have the uh, electric grinder that I left up there for you. So we'll have to God see how bless, that works for God you. God bless you, John. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, electric stuffer. Obviously you already had the electric grinder. Yes, I yes, mean. yeah, the yeah. stuffer instead of, well, that's why my guns got so big, you know, from cranking that thing. We were all impressed when you came out in that sleeveless shirt. Thank you. <laughs> Mark, how do you feel about this? I'm uh I'm a little nervous. We're pulling up to the border with a lot of equipment. Let you back in? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. A couple items from us. We have uh we have hats and shirts. Scott Franzen put together some cool uh hat and shirt designs, and you can find them on theflush.tv. And of course, the proceeds from those will go right back to Pheasants Forever. Hunting season will be here before we know it. You can 
wear a flesh hat out in the field and support conservation, which we appreciate doing. Um, beyond that, I think that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week if they let us back into America. <laughs> uh, we'll Thanks for having it. me, Travis. Well, thank you Thanks, very much Travis. for being here. Thanks, guys. I don't know how. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know if this was any good doing a on the road show. If it is. Maybe we'll do it when we're traveling to our next bird hunting destination. It'll be here before we know it. We'll be back then on another episode of the Flush Podcast. Yes.